During my time as a pastor in the Evangelical Covenant Church, I was in an ongoing conversation about the relationship between LGBTQ folks and local churches. And over the years, regardless of all the different kinds of settings in which that conversation was happening, it kept bringing me back to this very particular biblical imagery. Moses and his people on the edge of a body of water that they could not safely cross with the armies of Egypt bearing down on them from behind. An impossibility. Any change necessary for a peaceful, free future was just off the table. Something very new. Something not just unprecedented, but unexpected and very unlikely would need to happen. It has pretty much always felt that same way to me in the institutional conversation about sexuality and gender and identity and communal religious practice. That any change necessary in order for a peaceful, connected, communal future to be possible just seemed off the table. For that reason, and for several others, I've turned my attention to places in which I saw actual newness. And that was almost always in relationship. It was almost always happening on a level that the institutional conversation was too busy or too noisy to notice. But as quiet as some of those spaces and moments might have been, they continue to grant me deep and sincere hope for a future I can't see yet. Stacy Frentis' story is one of those spaces and places. And it was a joy to reconnect with her in conversation. Check it out. You are, uh, you are, what, 27 minutes or so south from me still? What town are you I'm in now? I'm in Brentwood, yeah. So oh, I'm... so you're, you're more east than, you're in Brentwood. Where are you? You're... Well, I'm in Martinez. Okay, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm east, yeah. Yeah, way out Brentwood. there. How long have you been in Brentwood now? We have been out here for, I'd say, about almost 20 years now. Oh, okay. Which seems to just fly, but Gone. yeah, it truly. Because yes. mm -hmm. I don't place you in Brentwood. Mm -hmm. Although, I don't know that even, I don't know that I place anybody Anyone anywhere? <laughs> in Brentwood. No, Brentwood oh, specifically right. is one of those towns that's like, do people really live there? Do is people it, live there? Is that a real thing? Um, I place you in like closer to the Silicon Valley, like down mm -hmm. 680, Tri-City area, like just the northern part of Silicon Valley. That's funny. Well, I did a lot of singing there when I, I think when you and I were crossing paths a lot, I was singing yeah. in, in the North Bay or in the South Bay a lot. And, and I, when, I think when I was, I was in Alameda for a long time before I moved here, yes. up here. So that was kind of, that's where it feels like home sort of more. Alameda does. Yeah, I mean Still. that just that part of the Bay Area. Yeah, Brentwood uh, never feels like home. It just feels like, oh, what are we doing out here? You know, yes. we just well, that's kind like of... I'm I I crack wise about it. Like I'm joking to some mm -hmm. degree, but mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by place. Um, yeah, and Brentwood really is one of those towns mm -hmm. in which, it, and there are, there are numbers of towns that are this way. Mm -hmm. but like I don't know who actually feels at home. Like they'll call it like it's where they live, and they have mm -hmm. the people their people there. I just don't, Brentwood's one of those towns that like if you run into someone uh, on the other side of the country, they don't claim Brentwood. They're not like, yep, right. Brentwood's my spot. Totally. It's like, no, we have a place in Brentwood or or whatever. 
for you. Or you just say, I just say San Francisco Bay Area. I just kind of pull (laughs) that whole thing out of the hat, you know? Um, Alameda, Alameda still feels like home. Why? Somewhat. I mean, I think just because I moved there, I mean, I was born and raised in North Dakota until I was 13. So I'm a Midwesterner girl, but then, um, Alameda was where I came of age, you know, from age 13 to age 25 ish or whatever. Um, I, that's where my most formative years were. And Mm -hmm. just like, you know, you go back to talking about place, you know, you go back to places that just feel viscerally like full of memory and, Mm -hmm. um, the the profound memories the ones that impress you know forever yes. i think um so yeah but then also really i've been i i also do do a lot of traveling to nashville i, I now have a sister and a mom in nashville as well as um yeah so I, I feel like that's a that feels homey to me too and we may be relocating at some point fairly soon to, to nashville, nashville. Mm-hmm. which is another one of those towns that Maybe more so. I, I was just in Nashville recently. It's a place I visit more so now, but it's a place in which people would feel like they had they had work to do, they had relationships there. But for very pe- very few people, did it feel like home, home mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the nature. It's changed over time, and it is a place where folks feel more like they actually have roots. Why yeah. go back to Nashville? I think because of my family, um, okay. they're my only remaining family, my mom and my sister and my mom's getting up in years. And so it's like, I don't, I just want to help. I want to be there. Yeah. Yes. For my mom in her last final years. Yeah. That is the thing, man. It really, it's talk uh, about the thing that, that happens all of a sudden looking up and thinking yeah. about the last few years of a parent's life. Well, you don't see him coming. I mean, Abe's mom died two months ago and, um, it she was sick for years but it still came the the final days came very quickly and yeah you're just not prepared for it and and yet there's you know also though there's like this big season of life that you sort of find yourself in that you're like oh here we are uh speaking of before we're gonna talk about uh we're gonna talk about the book and talk about the 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 ethos of the book and the impetus for the thing Mm -hmm. Uh, but writing a book this is your third book it's sec- second. Second mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. But you did it a devotional thing as well, though. There was like a book, and then there was like a devotional thing you were a part of. Am I getting that right? Because I, f- I have yeah, three books yeah, in my yeah, mind with yeah. your name yeah. on them. Yeah. I, 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 no, I mean, I, I only author. I authored Flourish. I'm trying to think if there was anything else I contributed to devotional-wise. I may have, and I just, it's blanking on me, but not really, no. There's does just it feel the like, book. does it still feel like a new art form for you, book writing? Because after, after years of making music... Which mm-hmm. is the you can do it in your sleep. It's more secondhand. It's more second nature. Mm-hmm. Does book writing feel like a new thing, or does it does it feel more like? Well, talk about the relationship between like musician, author, that work and expression. Is it more of a slog? Is it harder? Is it refreshing? Like, what's that like for you? Mm. I think. Um, well, a couple of things come to mind. One is that in recent years, I've I've uh, started doing some freelance editing, and so I've been coming at huh. book writing from that point of view from critiquing it, you know, for, from other oh, wow. people writing. And, um, that's been really, I really have enjoyed that. And I think it's, it's helped me approach the craft of it. Not so personally. Oh, and, yes. that's uh, really good. that's been really helpful. Yeah, yeah. So that when I did sit down to actually start my book, which was now five years ago that I started writing it, I had a little bit of, um, perspective and distance from the craft and, and, and that was helpful for me, but huh. I still got my 
ass kicked by my developmental editor for this last book. Like <laughs> just, it was amazing. Which makes sense. Again, we'll talk, we'll get really deep into the, 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 uh, the heart of the book, but like, it really makes sense with your subject matter that you really don't want to give people a reason to stop reading or mm -hmm. like, like it really needs to be a little bit more refined as a, mm -hmm, as a piece. Mm -hmm. It did. It, it came out as a total emotional dump, you know, the first yeah. time. And it yes. was just, it was just therapy for me to write it. And then hmm. she kind of came back to me and said, this is great. So now can you write it for people who want to read it? You know? Yes. I coach, I coach my artists in general, mm. this direction that is that, um, part of what keeps us from finishing things is mm -hmm. that we're too emotionally attached to them. And I'm, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm never going to say like, don't, don't emotionally invest in your work. You absolutely mm -hmm. should. But in order to finish a work, you really yeah. do have to have some altitude on it. Um, and so I'll, you know, I'll talk about like uh, your favorite artist, whoever your favorite artist is. So I'll talk about like Tom Petty, like uh, yeah. one my, probably my, one of my favorite songwriters, right? Mm -hmm. So I can listen to a Tom Petty song and then listen, and then listen to another Tom Petty song. And I'd be like, this one's better. And I like this mm. one better. And then there's songs, even on the album Wildflowers, which is a damn near mm. perfect record. Yes, yes. I'd be like, yeah, that, this song's a weaker song on the record. Like I have the altitude from that. And to be able mm. to get that personally, where mm -hmm. like to listen to my own stuff or to read my own stuff and be like, this isn't that great. Mm. I have like the the practice you just talked about, like actually being in that editing mode mm -hmm. helps to rescue me from like the, the odd gravitational, uh, like yeah, emotive clingingness. Oh my know, gosh. That I have oh. to my own work. It keeps me from finishing. Oh, for sure. Which is why the war of art changed my life. His whole thing about being both boxer and trainer, you yes. know, was yeah. so so yeah it's such a good, good. Yeah. yeah um this was like you said a more of an emotional dump uh you didn't want to make a record about this because the right. the conversation in your own soul was mm -hmm. a little more nuanced songs tend to have a little bit more focus and finality to them mm -hmm. um did you set out to was this just a matter of like hey uh, i need to process somewhere and maybe it'll become a thing? Or was this like, this is a journey. I just, I'm just using the word just because it's funny at this point. This is a journey I know I'm gonna go on and I know I'm gonna take people with me. Were you conscious of this becoming an artifact at some point that would be like a, a piece of the public conversation about queer kids and religious culture? Did, did you know that was gonna happen? I think that revelation sort of hit me about halfway through the process. It didn't, it didn't hit me in the beginning. In the beginning, it really was just like a, almost an outgrowth of a blog post kind of thing, you know, yeah. sort of like I, I, I actually posted a blog in 2015 when Supreme Court ruled in favor of gay marriage. I, I decided to sort of come out myself publicly about what I, what I believed and what I, how I'd moved to an affirming position. And, um, you know, that, that blog post just kind of went viral as viral as anything I've ever done. And it, uh, it, it was the, to me, that was the impetus to write, to sit down and start really writing out the story. And, um, and it was about halfway through that process that I, and I'm going to tell you something, it, it, I don't think I've ever said this yet when in talking about the book and it's going to sound really woo woo and out there, but it really did happen to me. Yeah, and you. I mean, I'm a woman who's in my fifties. I've been doing, you know, I've put out 12 albums of original music. I've written, you know, I've done some stuff in, in the ministry world and, and um, 
I'm telling you, Justin, about halfway through this book, I felt this overwhelming sense of, and I'm not even sure how to explain it, but it was this like, you were born to be sitting at this desk at this moment, writing these words for this purpose, period. Everything else was just fodder for why you're here right now at this desk writing this. And I, I, Honestly, I've never felt that about any of my work. And this, <laughs> I felt that about, <laughs> it was, and, and I knew it wasn't even going to be about the quality of the writing or the, the, any of that. It was just going to be, this is a moment in time for which you need to write this, this thing. And you're going, you know, this tributary is going to yep. be added to the big river and you're part of that river, you know? That's very good. Um, quite a moment to be having then um let's take a step back from it and talk about the that moment in which you publicly you just said you know i can't i came out and shared mm-hmm. that i was in an affirming position mm-hmm. i want to I'd, I'd love for you to talk about that experience but just before that talk about why you wouldn't have in other words mm-hmm. uh, one of the things you get to speak to is this 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 piece this sort of transition piece it's one thing to come to a social position about anything sociopolitically, anything hyper-relational, and feel differently in your skin, it really is actually an entirely different exercise, spiritually, socially, emotionally, psychologically, sometimes financially, to be public about some of the things we think. Talk about like what, what would have kept you from saying publicly, this is where I'm coming from. And some of that might sound like obvious stuff, but for other folks, it can be a little bit freeing to be like, I, I, like, I, I vibe this, like what? Like, is there a fear there? Like, what keeps a person, what what kept you from publicly being there before mm-hmm. then? Uh, there were a few reasons. One of them is just that I, I um, it took me a while to, pro- to process it. It, got, it took me a while to get from point A to point B. And I didn't want to do that out loud in a public forum. I didn't want to be, hmm. um, I didn't want to, think aloud about it because it, it was too tender and of a subject for me. And, and, um, okay. and by tender, I just mean it, it's my own daughter, my child. And so as I'm formulating thoughts and opinions and ideas, I don't want to be sort of throwing those out there. Like, I'm kind of wondering this today. And then the next day, well, well, maybe I was wrong about that thing. Yeah. Like to me, that just feels very, like you can do that about some things, but I couldn't, I couldn't do that about this. It just yeah. felt too close to the heart. Hmm. And then, um, and I think too, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, if you want to get into Enneagram stuff, which I, sure. I, I do kind of subscribe to some of that. We already got into the woo woo because we can definitely. We did. We're there already. Yes, we're what there. are we talking We've been about? We're there. We're, we're in the soup now. <laughs> we live there. I live there. I'm a four. So just blah, there it is. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so part of my inner workings had to do with sort of how do I position this from an image standpoint? How do I even like, as a Christian artist, as someone who has made my living in evangelical faith spaces, Mm -hmm. how do I suddenly just even breach this topic and, and begin speaking about it as though it's something I'm, I it's lives inside my, you know, my persona. Yes. And, um, I didn't know how to do that like that. I was just kind of frozen. I was kind of paralyzed for a while. And part of that was a financial decision as well, because I knew the minute I began being a little bit more public about it, that the gigs, you know, would stop would coming. Yeah. And they, they did. I mean, I got yes, one call and then an invitation after another. It, it, it's a real thing. Yeah. And, um, 
but and so there was the fear and then and then um you know um i didn't have language for it yet it took hmm. me a long time to even um like know what i was or be able to put words to what this thing was i i was not someone who was really following any kind of progressive or deconstruction um narrative or conversation online or anywhere i i was pretty like yeah. in this sort of evangelical bubble like of, of my my little world and my church and the churches i was singing at and talking yeah. speaking and so um it took me some time to just begin reading and connecting and and conversing with other people who were on a similar path that i could then begin to talk about it and find language for it can you talk a little bit about what it about well maybe the, the direct question is were you did you have a fear did you experience a fear it wouldn't have been theological it would have been like a personal fear about who god is in this is that part of is it part of the process for you that if this is tr insofar as your daughter is your daughter is your daughter's gay you used to believe that this was not a, a good thing at all and now there's a thing and then your heart starts to change and you become talk a little bit about like how was there a fear there about god being different than god was and like the insecurity perhaps this is part you know some people talk about this in terms of de deconstruction i don't think it has to be was there a fear of like losing God the way you understood God and what happens on the other side of that? Was there, was, or was there, was it more comforting to come into a different theological position or was there no real shift and just kind of a broadening? Like talk about what it looked like for you to, to be a person of faith moving through this process and particularly being public about it. Yeah, I, I do think that with um with abby coming out there there was a um you know it was that proverbial uh you know crack in the wall where mm. the I began to see water seeping through this thing <laughs> that i thought was just rock solid you know this thing called biblical inerrancy or this thing called you know this is god's word and god said it i believe it that's all that matters and um so this this idea that there could be some other you know some other deeper reality than what i had been believing and reading you know and yes. immersed in all my life uh it was a direct hit to my core you know it wasn't just oh let me just sort out these few verses it was is god a good god hmm. is god uh yeah, is God a good God? Like I've believed all my life, or is this some kind of huge universal cosmic joke on all of us? You hmm. know, in what way would it have been that? Because, because a mother's heart says my child is beautiful and good and perfect, and somehow I, I had been grown up believing that God said certain people, including my now this child that I that now has come out as gay. Oh, in fact, that child is not good and perfect. That child is broken and an abomination yeah. and, and, and all these words and these things, these concepts that I associated with other people. Yes. Um, suddenly now it was my child. And so in that, in that reckoning came this deep, deep fear that I had been tricked into believing uh, huh. in a good God. And in fact, it was the first time I ever doubted 
the, the goodness of God. Uh, because how could, you know, I mean, this was before you asked for the before, right? Yeah. It yes, was just this whole thinking of like, how could God create human beings that he then could not love and accept and embrace and have be in relationship with? Like, yes. what is that? You know, yeah. and, you know, of course that, that then became the breaking point. That was the chink in the armor, the, you know, the, the crack in the wall. Oh, he can't. Oh, those things are actually not even both true, you know? And what you find yourself up against then has more to do with hermeneutics than an experience of the divine. Mm -hmm. It has more exactly. to do with an, an, the interpretive disagreement and conclusion and the system built around that versus mm -hmm. an actual terrifying, yes, life-altering encounter with, and with the divine. Right. And I think, well, I think there's, there's both for me, there was both. There was kind of like at that deep level of um, that personal wrestling with God. And then there was the sort of the, I mean, there was a time when I just, I had to just put all of that kind of on hold and go, oh, well, wait, I, first I just need to figure out how to raise a teenager who's gay yes. and deal with sort of the pragmatics of that on a daily level. And it was actually a lot of those that lived experience, just kind of the pragmatics of it that actually hmm. helped the deeper wrestling. What do you, talk because, about the pragmatics. You mean in terms of like, like how do I, how do I just love my kid as a pragmatic? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, you know, it was just, it came down to little things. It came down to awkward conversations about how her friends dressed or what, how she felt comfortable dressing or hmm. um, awkward conversations about, having friends over after school and going, well, is this a friend friend or is this a yes. friend you feel differently about? And, um, you know, and she would roll her eyes and just, <laughs> you know, like the universal sign for you're so lame, you know, and I'd be like, but help me understand this. Cause I want to understand, you know, and, and, you know, we would just have these conversations about what it's like to be, to be her, you know, she invited a girl to prom and her senior year, they went to prom and, mm -hmm. and, you know, I live in a small town and I had sung at all the big churches in town and everybody sort of knew, not everybody I'm saying, you know, yeah, I'm just I know saying I couldn't go to the grocery everyone store. In your, everyone in your world. Yes. In my world. Yeah. Yes, I couldn't go to the post office without someone going, Hey, Stacy, you sang at my church, you know? And so I was navigating this sort of this public persona. Uh, and at the same time, just trying to be a, a good mom yes. to my child and to, um, and I think one of the things that that pragmatism did, which is what it does all the time, right, is it just sort of becomes this, for me anyway, it grew into this sort of lived theology, like sort of hmm. how do you how do you love is not really about how you know finding chapter and verse. It's about how do I support this child asking a girl to the prom when everything in me is sort of in turmoil over that, but yes. I'm crazy about her and I want to show her that I love her and that it's okay, whatever she does. And so um, you then sort of walk in love, you know, yeah. without necessarily knowing how that all feels inside. You don't feel all settled about it other than you just feel like as a mom, I think somewhere in my gut, it was telling me, you know, this is what's, this is what's right. Yep. This is what's right. This is how you love. It is, which ends up being the question, which is probably where we'll land. I, I want to ask a little bit about, 
um, your relationship with with the institutional church around you and local churches. Um, one of the you know one of the fears, one of the obstacles, like one of the, the the actual sticking points in this conversation among our tribe of persons, has to do with the like um, the ability to the capacity to the desire to disagree here. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about your like your experience over the last what were we, like four or five years now? Mm-hmm. Uh, being in conversation, being able to have questions, being able to talk to, can you talk about your experience in relationship with the institutional church? Because part of what I value about, not value, part of what I admire, value, part of what makes this, I think, not just interesting, but also like helpful and refreshing is where you're not coming from is these people are wrong. We need to burn it down. Where you're coming from is like, I, I had to change in order to love well. And you can too. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about what that's looked like for you, the difficulty of it, victories. What's it look like for you to maintain a relationship with the institutional church over the course of the last four or five years? Well, I don't know that I've done a great job of that. I don't know that I, I can tell you today that I have a really healthy uh, relationship with, with the church. And that's, you know, big C as well as my own local body. Um, uh, it's been really, really complicated. Uh, and I, I'm, you know, some of that is because some of that is because, um, I've come up against, you know, um, uh, policies that have felt really uncomfortable to me and to someone who, um, has an LGBTQ person in their family, you just, you kind of, there. well, there came a point for me anyway, that I, I couldn't keep going to the same church and standing, you know, next to people who were worshiping and singing to the same God, but who I, I knew for a fact, uh, couldn't pray the same prayers for my child and you know, or wish the same well being for my child that they wanted for their own child. And that, that becomes a very, um, it becomes really like a deal breaker, you know, yeah. for, um, it has for me anyway. And, and yet, you know, um, in personal private conversations with individual people from yeah. those places, <laughs> yeah. it's been mostly good. It's been mostly really positive. It's been, it's been yes. people saying, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, um, you know, I'm, I'm open. I'm curious. How did you, how did you land where you did? Tell me yes. about your process. What, like, it's amazing to me that those conversations are as healthy and wonderful and open as they are. Yes. And yet the policies that, you know, dictate how we treat LGBTQ people are not changing. What's fascinating is, I mean, I had this, I've, I've had this conversation a lot, um, but mm-hmm. like even on the podcast earlier this season, um, I had this conversation with, uh, with an earlier guest about, um, the, the odd, and I guess I still do find it odd that I understand, I do understand that there are, there are hangups in this conversation about like being affirming or non-affirming about like, mm-hmm. how do you read this part of the Bible 
but not read the part right next to it in the same way? And how do you, you know, how do we understand hermeneutics and can, how much biological knowledge do you have to have in order to like, I get that it's relatively complicated. I don't, under, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not unaware of that. I'm fascinated by, and I'm actually dumbfounded and deeply saddened by what seems like the decision that we make to literally rip ourselves institutionally and socially mm. to shreds mm. over this, like in this conversation, because the, and the conversation we had had on, you know, on, on the, the, um, it's called the shelter in place podcast was that it seems inevitable that as soon as it, the, the moment a church staff and a congregation enters into an affirming church staff, a non-affirming church staff enters into a conversation about queerness, about homosexuality, that the inevitable result will be a splintering. That like mm -hmm. this is just what the, the it, it's like. It's gonna happen. This is the way it feels in in uh, in our minds. This is the way it's communicated. It's gonna happen. That if you, and I even heard in trainings and conversations that if you if you enter this conversation, you are going to end up. It and it feels to me like this terrifyingly self fulfilling prophecy. Because in my mind, I'm like, it really doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. It actually doesn't have to do that in your experience. And that I'm, I'm preaching here in part because it, it literally infuriates me and I don't mm -hmm. understand it. Why, why does it happen that way? Like, why is it for, why is this so intractable as a conversation? Why is it so impossible to live together in disagreement institutionally as Christians? Mm -hmm around this. And I'll caveat that by, by saying this, <laughs> we're talking about a populace of folks who on the whole will go to the mat. And I will too, saying that on the evidence of scripture and history, this man was both God and man at the exact same time that he was crucified. He was dead in the, then he was raised in the body and then ascended like from death into heaven was raised and lives in like we'll get we'll all go to the mat all for in. that one mm -hmm. and we're we're in mm -hmm. but we can't get around to having a disagreement about what comes down to like somewhere between four and five bits of text and a truckload of biological information about people we love what the hell is going on i don't get it do you <sighs> I'm not sure that I do. I can tell you that uh, the agree to disagree isn't going to work when you're on sort of this side of things. Yes. Um, so there's the first rub. Like Good. it has to, like, that's why I'm having trouble going to church right now, unless it's like a full on clearly affirming church. And I, I, I haven't, I just haven't found one yet, but. I feel like on, on every other topic, we can kind of do this agree to disagree, but on, on the basic, you know, foundational sort of, you know, dignity and worth of a human being's life, you can't, you know, and. Um, yeah, and I guess I'm not even going to like, let's settle on agreeing to disagreeing. Uh, agreeing okay, to disagree, no, no, no. But, I hear yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, but I think there's more parts to that. My answer were, was that, that I think there's more cultural bias that's, that's, a lot of Christians 
aren't agreeing to, uh, aren't copping to around this topic. So, and it's one of the things I address in my book and it's, it's that, that, you know, I think I brought as much just cultural bias to this topic as I did religious bias and hmm. religious presuppositions. I mean, talk I, about the difference for folks who might not quite get grasp the, the gap between a religious bias and a cultural bias. Like, sure. I mean, dig into that for me. So before I even became a Christian, I, I was a child of, you know, the, the seventies and eighties and, and, um, well, particularly during the seventies, you know, you, you, you did not see any kind of great queer representation in media, you know, television, books. It, it was always the, the gay character would either get killed off or it was hmm. some sort of caricature. Hmm. And um, you, so, you know, you just sort of, I grew up believing that there's obviously something really bad and really wrong with those people. Huh. And um, that Which also wasn't had necessarily to do with, emanating from a religious center. It was just right. In the it was soup just what media told me, NBC what images and CBS mm -hmm. and CNN. Yep. Um, you know, uh, I think that any kind of images that I saw on television of, of LGBTQ people were you know, and I grew up or I came of age in the San Francisco Bay Area where you had a really thriving, you know, LGBTQ uh, community. Uh, but I was raised conservative, fairly conservative, even before we, we be, my family became Christians. We were, hmm. we were just kind of conservative people. We, we moved to California from North Dakota, the Midwest, um, where just things like that weren't talked yeah. about. And, and my parents didn't have gay friends. I didn't have gay friends until I was in my thirties or at least people I knew yeah. were gay. Yes, and, <laughs> um, and so it, it just, it wasn't in the water. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it, yeah. The understanding, any kind of, any kind of like nuanced, like belief uh, or not, I mean, nuanced, like experience of yeah. being around gay people. There's it little, just there's so little training. It's mm -hmm. not a disciple. It's not a discipled part of our mm -hmm. of the culture. Which then mm -hmm. takes me to the part of it that, because and, and I agree with you, and I, and, I, and I probably need to to revamp the way I ask this question, because I I don't I'm not pointing at hey let's let's agree to dis let's agree to disagree, mm -hmm. uh, as like the baseline that's the the landing place because then we do end up dehumanizing people. I guess I also mean and there's there's a um, there's a comic I think, um, in which it was the like two frames in this comic this single strip and, and the one is someone who looks like me a white man in a church on his knees praying god send us more people fill this place with your people and then the next frame is a bunch of folks in rainbow gear like this is you know the denotation that these are these are queer folks is lgbtq folks and he's like no no no, not those ones <laughs> right i think i've seen that yeah right so <laughs> the the what keeps what keeps a set of eyes from seeing this as a from seeing this as um this moment uh as a work of the spirit of god like what keeps us from recognizing that that this is a thing that god is up to a, a conversation that's not just it that we're not getting attacked by the culture or whatever the hell people mean when they say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. This isn't the the liberal agenda. 
what keeps us from saying, okay, wait, this must be a thing that God is doing. How can we be responsible to that? What keeps us from going to that place and seeking God and attention as opposed to just trying to resolve it with policy? What, why does that not happen? I know for myself, it was, and it seems like the that the people that I, I pay attention to who are the most resistant, um, there is just this real um, uh, either unwillingness or inability to to accept that perhaps the Bible um, is is not the kind of text that we we may think it is. That if you and what I mean by that is if you admit that a few verses have been really poorly translated and thus sort of weaponized against an entire community of people, which I do believe the clobber verses have been and are, um, then, oh my goodness, well, then what else maybe have we gotten wrong about the Bible? What, what else is there in, you know, in it that we may need to examine in ourselves and in, in, one another. So I think that it's, um, it's the chink in the armor thing from the other side. Like for you, the chink in the armor yep. was this personal relationship mm -hmm. and the, that you had with God that was mm -hmm. all of a sudden thrown into question. Like, can God be good? Then that mm -hmm. question was the chink in the armor. You're saying the other side of the coin is the chink in the armor would be like, do I have, if I start to question this, yeah. what else do I have to question? And is it everything? Yeah. And I, and I'm not, you know, here's like someone speaking from sort of an, a non-affirming place is going to say, I think I'm going to fight all the way down. You know, I mean, I've been in countless conversations with people who have studied harder than I have and, have, and are more convinced of their position about a gay person yeah. than I am even, um, who are simply unwilling to yes. admit that perhaps the Bible meant that, the, that perhaps there's a translational issue here that we all got tripped up on. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, I, I don't even know how to, I get to a certain point with someone like that and go, I, I clearly, um, you know, you're, you holding to the truth is more important than you considering the human beings who are being hurt by this, this, you know, vice grip you've got on, on the truth. On a, and, and you're using air quotes when you, when you say the I truth, am. which was, I'm, I'm pointing out to the folks, yeah, yeah. part of what you're, part of what I'm hearing you get to, which is, a, as, and this is a place where you and I really resonate is, um, I don't even know how to exactly how to say this. I wrote a piece a little while ago about this, this odd, it, it has to do with like, in, like the grip we have on reality and truth by way of hermeneutics as if the as if the goal somehow was to get it right get things right uh, or, yeah right um and i wonder i really honestly do wonder at times uh this is very very real uh and this is where i get woo woo uh is like the oddity and the difficulty the the impactable nate impactable impact what's the word like the, the 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 intractable nature i'll look this word up and i'll fix it in editing but like the, the impossibility of this the, the stuckness of this conversation really does feel it, it the image in my mind is constant is something along the lines of this just 
bl- the darkness, just blackness, da- mm. like not blackness, but darkness. Yeah. Th- like a mist. Like, why can't you see? Yeah. And the question ends up being like, it, the thing that I don't see is is you. The, the, the thing that I lack, yeah. I want to come to a conclusion that makes me feel, I want to come to a conclusion about a particular reality or a particular, you know, small T truth that allows me then to have a relationship with you. When, which yeah. I feel more comfortable about my relationship with you. And I wonder if there really is in the way that, you know, like some of those confounding bits of scripture where in which, uh, you know, the earlier writers would say that God blinded someone, that God kept mm-hmm. them from seeing or God hardened someone's hearts. Mm-hmm. What I, it, it, it would make sense to me. And I'm not saying this is what's happening. It would make sense to me if they're honest to God was like an like a, a massive spiritual blindness here. Mm. That that was in a sense. Oh gosh, you know, <laughs> I'm getting myself in all kinds of trouble. You don't get to come to conclusions until you're in love with people. That this that's is a, it. A, that this is the thing. Like you're, you don't see this straight. Yes, 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 yes. Boy, yes. that's a, that's a funny way to say this. You don't get to see this correctly. <laughs> <laughs> you do see this straight. You don't get to see correctly. You don't get to see clearly unless you're willing to be in love. And and you and in mm. fact, it is only on the other side of actually being in love with people. Mm. that you mm. get to see this truth mm. that makes some sense to me like why mm-hmm. this is as absolutely impossible for us culturally and it's by us i keep bias i literally mean people like me straight mm-hmm. white mm-hmm. men in their 40s and 50s yeah. maybe in their 60s who have yeah. massive controls over churches and church communities who are also lamenting yes. the massive decline in religious religious interest and in a church attendance i'm talking attendance. to me <laughs> the, in, the impossibility of this what if mm. what if the whole ball game is actually more and this is why i love your book and it's why i love you you doing this the way you're doing it what if the whole ball game really is like i'm so sorry i know you want to feel comfortable with your conclusions before you enter that room but you don't get to you just have to go in the room yeah. you have to go in the room and you have to actually fall in love with the people who are there <laughs> and once you have done that once you have fallen in love with people there, I will open your eyes to see things yeah. a little bit more clearly. But I'm not going to play the game of you mm. feeling like you get to get it right and I think, then yeah. walk into the room in a position of control. I think that's right on. I, do, I, I think that's right on. Yeah. And I think coming about this, you know, from any other angle is just it's just going to, you know, bam, 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 because because the more I try to argue my biblical interpretation versus your biblical interpretation, you're, you're absolutely right. It's we will walk away having, you know, felt like we, we did our best with the armor we were wearing and we never touched, we never saw each other. And I think that, um, you know, I say that all the time, Justin, I say, you know, before my daughter came out, I had this luxury of just like thinking about this topic and then setting it on a shelf for a while and deciding if I want to think about it again, the next time it comes up in my Facebook feed or my Instagram feed, or in the next time it comes up in conversation, but I didn't live with it. I didn't yeah. have to live with it. And until yeah. it, yeah. And um, there had to be a, con- there think- had to be a wound. Mm-hmm. There had to be a person, like a, a personal grief in it. It's that, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. a t- it's such a terrible analogy, but I'm going to use it anyways, because it's my podcast is it's the moment. It's the, it's the moment in dark Knight rises. It's a Batman reverence. It's a moment in dark Knight rises when uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman has been Bruce Wayne is Batman just for the record uh, where he's been beaten down and he's in the bottom of this pit and he, he's tried to climb out a couple of times and he ends up injured and injured and injured. And the doctor eventually says to him, you're just not afraid enough. You're not scared. 
Mm. Like it doesn't matter enough to you. This is why you went, you can't make that jump because you're not scared enough. It's yeah. Like you might have the, you know, you probably have the physical wherewithal. You don't want it bad enough. Yeah. It's almost as if we have not embraced our own woundedness here. That it's yeah. no, it's not a matter of like there are gay kids over there and someday we'll figure this conversation out. It's like, no, the body is broken because yeah. those are your freaking kids and they don't like being at home. Yeah. Like if you're the church you want to be, those kids should feel like they can come home to you. They don't. You should feel sad. And until mm -hmm. you're sad, there's no conversation to be had. Until you're sad mm -hmm. that it's broken this way, we don't get to talk about making it right. That's really, 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 really true. I really feel that. Well, your book does uh, a job of um, forging a pathway through like into sadness and mm -hmm. grief mm -hmm. um, without just leaving people there that mm -hmm. like, hey, this sucks because that's easy. That's the easy part of cultural critique is like, hey, this sucks. Mm -hmm. Just like the just like the easy part of cultural critique is to be like, you suck. Right. Um, and you don't do that. Um, you walk through your own grief. You also don't make it just like a personal memoir or like this is you know, this is just my story. This is a story you're in that you have experienced personally. Uh, it makes it powerful. I think it makes it really um, moment, like cultural, historical moment, really appropriate. Mm. And it really specific, it specifically cracks doors open, kicks doors down uh, that uh, if you're similar and you're writing music from a queer perspective about being a Christian, yeah, she won't get, they won't get access to the kinds of folks that you will have access to. Right. Who are... Right white moms in their 50s and 60s right who are by, but let's be completely honest who have been for the last 20 years the actual social glue that has held together the white western evangelical church <laughs> are freaking moms between the age of 30 and 63 anyways <laughs> exactly they've literally held the thing together we're here we be here we're here it's so true it's yes. and it's like we I can't even tell you, Justin, that those are the exact direct messages and texts and yes. emails I get every single day from yeah. from those people. Because, um, I and one of the things I set out to do in this book was to, you know, you know, because you have, like you said, you, you have your sort of Christian testimonial. I once was this, now I'm this. Woo! Praise Jesus. Yes. But I was more about. Oh, hold on. Let's talk about what happens in that space between what, like when you're really in that place of moving from that to this, yes. because I, I felt like that's where the, that's where the, um, well, that's where the work is, but then that's yes. also where I couldn't find that book when I was looking, like yes. I couldn't find it. I, I, I found people who were already way further ahead than me. And I found people who were just in a, a different like who landed in a different place i yes. wanted to get there i didn't know how and i feel yeah. like i i that's what i tried to write was how to get there that's good well thanks for writing it thanks for spending some time with me oh thank you for having me i love it <laughs> excellent and thank you for listening to this episode of the at sea podcast if you would like to follow up with stacy frontis find out what she's up to with the book another book she's got coming out her music. You can visit her at stacyfrenes.com. Stacy spelled with an I and Frenes is F-R-E-N-E-S, stacyfrenes.com. On the other hand, if you would as well like to be 
part of the small army of folks who make this podcast possible, you can visit us at patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts. Pitch in at $3, jump in at 20 wherever you want to come in. We would love to have you on the team. Until next time.